Hey, gold friends, it's me, Adrian, or Aiden. Either way, I am still your host, and you are still listening to Susto, the podcast of ooky, spooky, scary stories. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Hope you are too. All that good stuff. Look at me consistently putting out content. I know it's only the second one since I've been back, but hey, you know what? Everyone is a win. Every single episode is a win for me, and I'm I'm just so excited and happy to be doing them. So I know a lot of you all will probably skip through all of the beginning stuff, so I'm just going to go ahead and not take too much of your time. I'm just going to give you the rundown, and uh, you know where to follow me online. That's at Susto Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm actually putting some really fun clips on there. I never like expected to have that much fun with Susto and TikTok, but I was like, hello, duh, like they go hand in hand, at least to me. So I put out some really cool stuff about some Patreon goodies that I just sent out last week. I collaborated with that artist that I mentioned whose TikTok comment section uh, Susto was mentioned in. It's at Hey You No Way on TikTok. Her name is Amanda. She did this amazing piece based on the Dancing with the Devil story and we collaborated. I reached out to her and she was so down. She's super cool. She's actually selling a digital version of that piece of art online on her website. You can find it through her TikTok, through her Instagram. I've tagged her on both of those videos, so make sure you go to my TikTok and then look her up and you can see the collaboration that we worked on and it's just like this red foil version of her artwork. So I just added some glimmer to it, but she did all the hard work. She's so talented, so I cannot say enough good things about her. Go check her out. <laughs> so, But that's why I want you to follow TikTok because it's opening, you know, some really cool doors for the show and for us and for you, my ghoul friends. And and speaking of the Patreon, if you want to sign up to be a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you so much to those of you who have signed up, new patrons, after just listening to the show, just starting to listen to it, some of you like a week ago. So I'm so excited. Welcome to the Susto fam. Some of you are best school friends now, and uh, you're going to get a lot of that cool stuff when you sign up for Susto. If you want to see all the benefits that patrons get, you can go see, peruse, see if any of that stuff looks interesting to you, and then make a decision, you know? Also, I do have have a letter from the beyond that I'm going to be sharing right before I get the story started. So if you have your own story that you want me to share on the show and on the socials, or even again, if it's a picture, a video, an audio recording, whatever it is that's paranormal or creepy, and you want me to share it, you can send that to me to sustopodcast at gmail.com. You can leave it in a five-star review or rating wherever you listen to the show, or you can send it to me in a DM on any of the social medias, and you already know what those are. So I'm going to go ahead and read read you the letter from the beyond that I have. Okay, so this letter from the beyond, I just have one for you this week, is from Instagram user at El Santo Ale. Thank you so much for sending this in. Ale writes, okay, so my mother's story. She was in her 30s. She's now 62. At the time, she had three kids, and she used to go to Reynosa a lot since it's really close to where we live. This night, she went out clubbing with her friends and left her kids with a babysitter. So, she's out and having fun, and the sun still has about an hour to come up. Okay, mom, staying up late. They continue, so she decides to go home. But none of her friends want to accompany her, so she goes alone, heels in hand. She's walking on the sidewalk on the way to the border, when all of a sudden, the street starts getting foggy, and she notices a man's silhouette in the distance. She suddenly feels a deep sensation to go towards this man, like a trance. The closer she gets, the more heavy the feeling gets. The more handsome this man becomes. Out of nowhere, she feels a tug from behind. It's this old man driving a taxi. I know, mija, has dicho que el diablo está suelto aquí. He rushes her into his taxi and drives her to the border, 
and that was the time my mom had seen him. Not the devil trying to pick up your mom. No, but really, is that's his... Th- you know what? Thank goodness for this kind, good-hearted, pure taxi man. Was he even really a taxi man? You know, maybe he was like an angel in disguise. That was your mom's guardian angel. Um, but you should ask her. I wonder if she believes in guardian angels. In stories that we've heard before about the devil, it's always that like, it's kind of like vampiric in a sense, you know, where it's always like, oh, I was put under a trance and I felt this, this something drawing me towards him. And it's always that sensation. But hey, you know what? Someone was looking out for your mom, whether or not that taxi driver was an angel or just a regular, regular human being, thankfully, they were there for her and they saved her because even if it wasn't the devil some strange man off in the distance in the dead of a night no thank you that's scurry if you all have any stories like this any like guardian angel stories feel free okay send them to me but i'm gonna i'm gonna share one with you this reminded me so i felt me adrian or aiden either way i fell (laughs) when i was a kid like i'm talking like seven years old is that second grade i want to say it was second grade but um i fell from the balcony of a second floor an apartment complex me being a child a stupid child and like not listening to my parents i snuck out of the apartment because we're visiting family up there and i was playing on the railing of the stairs but it had drizzled the night before but my little child brain not fully developed brain did not put together hey this is a dangerous situation you are hanging off of an edge from the second floor of a building and you're the only thing you're holding on to are these now slippery because it rained stair railings. So I slipped and I fell. And the only memory I have of that is falling slowly and then nothing. I think I remember being carried into a car and then I remember waking up in the hospital. And I only came out of that, believe it or not, with a broken arm. Like, I landed on concrete, full-on landed on a slab of concrete. If I landed in a different position, if I landed on my head or my neck or something, like, I could have possibly died, or I could have done, like, serious permanent damage to myself, but thankfully I didn't. So, I don't know, maybe maybe it was a guardian angel, maybe the physics were just right for me that day, and I lived to tell the tale. So, if you all have any of your own guardian angel stories like that, I'd love to hear them. I'm curious what other people may have experienced. And also, Ala, I'm curious, you know, what else was going through your mom's mind at that time? Like, I know she told you that it was like she was in a trance, but afterward, did she still feel like she was in that trance? Or was she like completely clear of mind? Or was she a little bit lit because she was leaving the club? Some of us can learn from hearing that like, okay, I know what being drunk feels like, but I heard this story that said it can also feel this way. I don't know. Lots of questions. Regardless, it's scary as fuck. And I am very grateful that your mother is okay and survived that. Again, thank you Ale so much for your letter from the beyond. And you all know if you have your own story, anything you want to share, you already know what to do with it, how to get it to me. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to today's story. As you've seen from the title, you may recognize this name, you may have heard this story before. This has been on my list of episodes to do for quite a while. So I'm really excited to finally bring you the story of Frida Sofia the girl who never existed.
Rescue workers were laboring round the clock to save a 12-year-old girl who had miraculously survived Mexico's devastating earthquake, but remained trapped in the ruins of her collapsed elementary school. Television channels broadcast breathless updates describing how the rescuers were inching closer to the cavity where the girl was buried alive. On September 19, 2017, tidbits of information about the child, who some began to identify as Frida Sofia, trickled out. Some reported that she was with five other children, some that she had spoken to rescuers who claimed to see her wiggling her fingers, and others that she had been sent water. But a day later, the world learned the truth. Frida Sofia did not exist. There was no student by that name. There was no girl trapped in the ruins of the school. So how did the nation, including emergency medical workers, some officials and news outlets get it so wrong? The Enrique Rebsamen school collapsed on that Tuesday when a 7.1 magnitude earthquake hit Mexico City. People rushed to pull injured children from the school, but hope soon dwindled. By evening of the next day, the military, the police, and local volunteers had been digging for more than 24 hours. That is when reports emerged of a girl who was alive inside the rubble. A story of hope when a devastated country painfully needed one. It is unclear who first made the claim, but Televisa, the country's largest television news network, was the first to air the report. The news was relayed by a reporter, Daniel Di Turbide, who said the information had come from leaders of the rescue teams. She was one of the only reporters allowed inside the police cordon around the building at that point. In her report, Ms. Di Turbide said that rescuers had told her that a 12-year-old girl was trapped and that she had been found using a thermal scanner. Rescue teams had made contact with the child, she told viewers, and her name was Frida Sofia. Rescuers were withholding the last name, the reporter said. Later that evening, Ms. Dithurvida interviewed rescuers on camera who spoke of a child trapped alive in the building. In one interview, a man who identified himself only as Artemio and as an electrician and rescuer told her that he had heard the voice of a girl. Yes, some very faint voices of a girl, apparently called Sophie, he said. I asked, your name? The man said. She said, Sophie. The Associated Press quoted another rescue worker with a similar story. The New York Times, among other news organizations, published this report. Rescue worker Raul Rodrigo Hernandez Ayala came out of the site Wednesday night and said that the girl is alive, she has vital signs. The news agency reported, and that five more children had been located alive. There is a basement where they found children. According to the report, helmeted workers spotted the girl buried in the debris early Wednesday and shouted to her to move her hand if she could hear. She did, and a rescue dog was sent inside to confirm she was alive. One rescuer told local media he had talked to the girl, who said her name was Frida. At the time, the military also had a rescue and search dog on site named Frida, which may have contributed to the confusion. The story grew from there as more news outlets reported the information. Soon, hashtag Frida Sofia was trending on Twitter. It seemed that most rescuers were working under the assumption that a girl was alive in the rubble. Footage taken by one journalist at the scene showed a rescuer shouting to a colleague and asking where he should dig before being told to focus on an area. Most journalists could not get close to the scene. They were relying on rescue workers rather than officials to relay information. Many of those workers had been on the site for hours. 
Then, officials began to repeat parts of the same story. On Thursday morning, a Navy officer, Admiral José Luis Vergara, told Televisa that there appeared to be a girl inside, but that they could not pinpoint her location. There's a girl alive in there. We're pretty sure of that, but we still don't know how to get to her, Admiral Vergara said. During the rescue, soldiers and Marines with specialized equipment such as heat sensors and sensitive microphones searched the school's site for signs of life and claimed to have found Frida Sofia. Rescue workers were even said to be feeding her milk down plastic tubes. But then the discrepancy started to emerge. No distraught family members came to the school. None of the surviving staff or students knew anyone of that name. Then the Navy backtracked. The Naval Secretariat said in a statement that 11 children had been rescued from the school and that the bodies of 19 children and 6 adults had been recovered, but no students were believed to still be trapped inside it, he said. The body of a 7th adult was discovered on a Sunday. We want to emphasize that we have no knowledge about the report that emerged with the name of a girl, the Navy's Assistant Secretary, Angel Enrique Sarmiento, said. We never had any knowledge about that report and we do not believe we are sure it was not a reality. The announcement came just hours after a different Navy official had told El Financiero TV that rescue workers were in contact with the girl. Mr. Sarmiento said that a thermal camera lowered into the rubble of the school had detected blood, but that the only person still listed as missing was a school employee. At least one body was removed from the rubble after the Frida Sofia story emerged, that of a 58-year-old woman and it could have been her fingers that rescuers had seen. Admiral Vergara apologized in a televised interview. The information about the girl was spread by the Marines based on the technical reports and the testimony of the rescue workers, he said. From the beginning, though, there were doubts about Frida Sofia. Some news outlets reported that her name could not be found on the school's roll book. The Ministry of Education issued an appeal for families of students who might be missing, and it said it had been 12 hours since the ministry had heard from anyone. Televisa later said its reporting had been based on interviews with rescuers and official sources and demanded an explanation from the Navy as to why it had retracted its earlier statements. Televisa anchors also expressed frustration. The federal government always told us there was a girl and they were about to rescue her. Now they changed their version. Outrageous, tweeted anchor Carlos Loret de Mola. Our goal was always to avoid rumors and the dissemination of false information, Televisa said in a statement. That is why we approached the Navy, which is the highest coordinating command of these rescue tasks. In a video message on Friday, Ms. Dithurvide, the reporter, said that the authorities had limited her access and that she had done her best to verify information with rescue workers. Alejandro Reyes Reyes, a psychology professor at University Santo Tomas in Chile, who specializes in trauma caused by natural disasters, said the earthquake's effect on the community might help explain the spread of misinformation. As a result of our anxiety and expectations, we interpret the information provided by rescuers in a distorted way, Mr. Reyes said in an email. It is demonstrated that our perception and attention is selective, that is, it is restricted by our experiences and socio-affective elements, such as the desire to find a person who has disappeared from the disaster or find a loved one alive in the rubble of a collapsed building. Mr. Reyes said this could lead people to transform the information and sometimes spread misinformation. 
the Frida Sofia story mirrors an earlier case of this kind of collective confusion. A Spanish newspaper, El País, reported a similar case in 1985, after a devastating earthquake that hit Mexico City 32 years to the day before the most recent quake, rescuers spent days digging for a 9-year-old boy called Monchito, only to find out that he did not exist. At the time, the psychologist called the episode a result of collective psychosis. Oh my god. Okay, so this one, what really creeped me out about this one, of course, the small details, like multiple people reporting to have seen her little hand wiggling around, hearing her voice, and the thermal scanners too. The thermal scanners are what got me. But then there was that whole like, no, it just, it detected blood. But I would assume that by the time they got the thermal scanner to that area, the blood would have been cold you know what i mean like the blood it's not in the body it gets cold when it's out of the body it's not like warm or hot by itself so you know what i don't know that's how they choose to explain that but the still the whole thing was eerie to me but I thought that this was a really good opportunity to talk about like collective trauma and stress. And I think I've touched on these, this topic before, uh, especially with the idea of like shadow people, how when I was uh, seeing my therapist, hi Dina, I hope you're listening. (laughs) She had explained to me how a response to stress and not even like diagnosed PTSD or trauma, just like a natural response to stress is to hallucinate. And so she asked if I had ever seen shadow people. And I was like, yeah, I've I've seen them before. And it always creeps me out because it's like I see someone in the corner of my eye or I see someone off in the distance. And then when I like really, really focus, there's nothing there. Or when I turn, there's no one there. And so she explained to me that we as people, we have these natural responses and these like micro stress induced hallucinations and they're not always visual either sometimes they're also an audible hallucination so you'll hear things or you'll hear your name or you'll hear you know like your brain as a response if for whatever reason I, I don't remember what the reason was that she gave but it just like it kind of comes up with these things and so it's not a full on you're like immersed into a, a, a hallucination but these hallucinations like they they peek into your brain and into your like into your reality not so much again that your own reality is shifting i think this is a good time to kind of speak on this we're what 3 years into this and I know a lot of us are very, very stressed out. Some of us are very comfortable (laughs) and, you know, that's fine. We have to find a way to navigate this and to live. But I feel like it it made me think of this thing that I, I think I read it somewhere. I'm not sure if I heard it like many of the references that I make. No, I think I heard it in a different podcast. Uh, They were talking about the Fox sisters, which are these two sisters that kind of like they were basically like influencers in the 1920s <laughs> that were really famous for spiritualism and they held these like seances and they claimed to be mediums and i since then i believe they came out and they were like at the end of their run they were like no it was all a hoax or whatever but the social science behind that was that it was in response to trauma and so 
uh, before I op- open those links, the links that I use to put the story together, there it's an article from New York Times and an article from The Guardian. I took both of those stories and I m- meshed them together. Uh, as always, if you want to see the script and my links for my sources and for my context sources, which I'm going to jump into now, those are going to be in the Susto Google Docs on patreon.com slash Podcast. Patreon exclusive. One that I wanted to talk about is it's a link from the History Channel or History and it's called Talking to the Dead, How the 1918 Pandemic Spurred a Spiritualism Craze. And so it's basically just talking about how anytime there's like this like mass trauma or like this like mass amount of stress on such like a wide scale that affects a whole population, a whole nation, it can induce... I'm just going to read into this little piece and hopefully it'll explain better what I'm trying to say. But it says, After millions perished, people turned to seances, Ouija boards, and more to help communicate with their dearly departed. So I'm wondering, I I haven't seen anything about the pandemic currently, this current pandemic, but I would love to see the, like if there's any studies on that about, you know, how people are reacting to this pandemic and if there has been an increase in spiritualism and stuff like this, you know, like these seances, Ouija boards, even though these tools and these practices are part of other people's belief systems. I don't want to invalidate that or discount that at all. I'm saying that some people may turn to this as a result of their stress or their trauma or what have you. So Okay, so yeah, I'm going to read the the beginning, like the first couple paragraphs of this. Uh, it's pretty lengthy. I think it's a really good read. So it says, when the influenza pandemic hit the US between 1918 and 1920, Americans wanted answers. Their questions weren't limited to what caused the pandemic or might prevent the next one. They struggled with more eternal concerns, such as what happens to us after we die and whether it's possible to communicate with dead loved ones. The flu pandemic wasn't alone in spurring this search for meaning. World War One, which ended in November 1918, had racked up a worldwide death toll of 20 million soldiers and civilians, according to one estimate, and if that wasn't sufficiently staggering, the influenza had taken at least 50 million lives. In both cases, most victims were young, between 20 and 40 in the case of the flu, and left behind parents, spouses, sweethearts, and children. Not surprisingly, spiritualism, which promised a window into the after life saw a sudden resurgence in the United States, Great Britain, France, and elsewhere. A February 1920 headline in the New York Sun said it all. Riddle of the life hereafter draws world's attention. And then it goes on and it talks about not the Fox sisters, but it talks about some other notable people. It says the two most prominent proponents of spiritualism were British Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sir Oliver Lodge. Doyle was, of course, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. Lodge was a respected physicist known for his work with radio waves. Both men had a longtime interest in the supernatural and both had lost sons in the war. Lodge's son, Raymond, had been struck down by a shell fragment while fighting in Belgium in 1915. Doyle's son, Kingsley, had been wounded in France in 1916 and died of pneumonia in 1918, likely brought on by the influenza pandemic. Doyle also lost his younger brother to the flu in 1919, while his wife's brother had been killed in Belgium in 1914. After the war, both men lectured widely in the U.S. and also wrote books describing their psychic experiences. Lodge's 1916 book, Raymond or Life and Death, describes numerous purported contacts with his late son. Lodge and his wife met with a variety of mediums who practiced such techniques as automatic writing and table tilting to communicate with the dead. 
And then it talks about what automatic writing is and like the some of the stuff that they did. So you can see, I mean, you you hear it just from what I read. These two men, they both experienced so much loss in such a short span of time. I think I counted like four or five different people in just like five years, 1915 to 1920. That's a lot of people like close to you in your family to lose in that amount of time. One is more than enough, you know? So I can't imagine losing that many people in that short amount of time how do you even process or grieve and so i think yeah it's pretty fair and easy to understand that you know the brain has a response to these things or maybe even if we're not you know having those responses and manifesting these like i said micro hallucinations that are a, a stress response or a trauma response but we go looking for those things. And again, I'm not trying to invalidate people using spirit boards or like having like seances or people who are able to connect with the other side, the afterlife, what have you. I do believe in those things. But I also believe that people seek out those things and can maybe sometimes you know, be the only ones to experience certain encounters. It's it's a really like hard line to walk for me because yeah, I do believe it. But I also do believe in the power of the human brain and more so in the power of grief and like sadness that, that those are really and loss, you know, those are really powerful feelings. Yeah, it makes sense that people would turn to these systems and to these practices to try and make a connection. And whether or not they work, that's a different story. But hey, maybe that's what it was is like it worked for one person and then it was a domino effect. People are like, oh, well, it worked for them. So I'm going to try it. And then it just like was just this boom in spiritualism because people were hoping to actually connect with their loved ones. Unfortunately, if you know a lot about spiritualism in the 1920s, which I've listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of articles about, you'll also know that there were a lot of fucking scammers out there that were just taking people for what they could while exploiting their grief. And so that's why me, I try and like walk that line of like, I believe, but I'm also cautious about what other people are actually experiencing. More so because of scammers and like horrible people out there that want to exploit people who are grieving and trying to process loss because they're wanting to take advantage of that for financial gain. Yeah, I just thought it was cool because it, it it was just a really interesting comparison how people responded to the 1920 pandemic and uh, it, it's making me wonder how are people going to respond to this one is there going to be another big resurgence i feel like i've seen it but i also feel like i am on tiktok a lot <laughs> and the algorithm is very good at showing me what i'm interested in maybe i'm just seeing all these people practicing these things or like dipping their toes into it for the first time because because i'm a spooky bitch and that's what my for you page is right but i think it's going to be something interesting for anyone involved in the social sciences to look into. So another article that I have here is from the British Newspaper Archive, and it's pretty much the same thing. It's uh, This one's called Understanding the 1920s Spiritualism Revival, and I wanted to read this quote in the beginning because it, it applies. It, it's it basically what I just said, but in a really nice, succinct way. <laughs> it says, The credence in the phenomena of spiritualism is very general. In fact, it is popular. Belief is common. It is widespread. It exists amongst all sorts of people, from the highest to the lowest. You find it in Mayfair, and you find it in the remotest village. It just spreads 
everywhere. People found this phenomenon and again, it was just a boom. That was from the popularity of spiritualism, which I'm guessing is an article from The Globe in 1919. This one is also pretty lengthy and there's some really cool pictures in this one too. I'm going to read just a little bit from here. So it starts off, by the end of 1919, belief in spiritualism was spreading like wildfire. Spiritualism is defined as a relatively modern religion that is based on the beliefs that the spirits of the dead exist, they do, and both have the inclination and the ability to communicate with the living, they do. Those are my beliefs. And as Edward Cecil observes in an article for The Globe, 29th of December, 1919, with the 1920s approaching, belief in spiritualism was rampant amongst women, and it was getting a hold upon men. Oh, men, be careful. That spiritualism will get a hold on you. By 1921, a journalist writing for the Montrose Abroth and Brecken Review explains how spiritualism has been gaining more converts every day, leading many eminent men to investigate its mysteries. This was the beginning of the 1920 spiritualism revival, and in this special blog using newspapers taken from the archive, we shall seek to understand the phenomenon of the spiritualism revival in the United Kingdom during the 1920s, and how it gained such popularity with advocates across the country and across social classes. So again, this is reiterating a lot of what I was just saying in reference to the history.com piece, but... I'm trying to tie this really big bow or like bring it back into this circle of what happens when a community experiences trauma like that. Because even at the end of the story from one of the articles, it ends with, at the time, a psychologist called the episode a result of collective psychosis. I feel like maybe that's what happened. You know, it could be it was just like, you know, like the telephone game, like misinformation can spread really fast. But I also feel as though this was a big possibility, you know, these rescuers, a lot of them were volunteers. And even if they were officials, a lot of them were from that community that was struck, you know, around that school, a lot of them maybe had family members that either worked at or were students at the school, you know, we don't know who who these people were as individuals, we don't know their lives and who they may have lost, or like they would may have been like scared to have lost. And so they could have been experiencing susto, you know, and that was their response was someone maybe really did see a little girl's hand wiggling around. And maybe someone actually did hear this little girl's voice. But it turned out that she wasn't there. But by then, you're in rescue mode. Literally, they're in rescue mode trying to save whoever they can find. And so it's like a really cruel trick that the brain played on this person. And then it took off because of course, you know, these numbers needed to be reported and people need to plan. And so yeah, of course, everyone's gonna know as fast as possible that there is a little girl still trapped down there. This next one that I found, it's from uh, IGI Global, publisher of Timely Knowledge. And this is titled, and it's also very interesting, copyright 2020. So yeah, it makes sense. It's titled Spiritualism and the Resurgence of Fake News. I'm just going to read the abstract because this looks like a whole entire, it's like, it's a book. (laughs) It's a whole book. But it's very interesting that this is so niche. Like, this is what I love about doing this show is find these such like 
super specific topics and it's a whole book it appears to be an academic source to me it has a doi number which i'm guessing is like the isnb or whatever it is like when you get a textbook there's an abstract there's chapters and stuff but either way i'm going to read just a little bit of the abstract it says this chapter explores the spiritualist movement and its rapid growth due to the formation of mass media and compares these events with the current rise of fake news in the mass media the technology of cheaper publications created a media platform that featured stories about spiritualist media and communications with the spirit world. These articles were published in newspapers next to regular news, creating a blurred line between real and hoax news stories. Laws were later created to address instances of fraud that occurred in the medium industry. Today, social media platforms provide a similar vessel for the spread of fake news. Online fake news is published alongside legitimate news reports, leaving readers unable to differentiate between real and fake articles. Around the world, countries are actioning initiatives to address the proliferation of false news to prevent the spread of misinformation. This chapter compares the parallels between these events, how hoaxes and fake news begin and spread, and examines the measures governments are taking to curb the growth of misinformation. It's using the example of how fast spiritualism spread in the 1920s and how far it spread without social media and how we have social media now. Yeah, like this is this is not new. Like the spread of misinformation is not new. And it's this, again, this, it's what... It, could have happened at the rescue site where someone may have experienced something they really may have seen or heard something and then they had to report it and then it was picked up by local media and then other media was sharing that story and like you know so it's it's very easy for that misinformation to spread even though it was based on someone's real trauma response or real like response to a stressful situation okay i have one final link here this is from the conversation it's a website yeah theconversation.com it says as spiritualism's popularity grows photographer shannon taggart takes viewers inside the world of seances mediums and orbs this one it's a it's like a, a photojournalist a photographer sharing her series but she's talking again about spiritualism which is like more so what this episode was about and not about frida sofia because she was not she turned out to not be a real person so unless you know maybe she was from a different time it was from a different tragedy or something and she was taking her opportunity to be heard and seen because i'm also a believer in the idea that like if enough people put enough energy into something you can manifest things and so maybe people looking to save children she was called to that feeling and she was like this is my chance to be saved i don't know i'd be interested to see more history on that this the, the site of the school itself and like to know if there were any other like tragedies or loss there but anyway okay the fox sisters this is who i was talking about this is who was referenced in this one so they're the ones that kind of like coined it and like started the practice and the belief and then eventually the trend of spiritualism but this is way before the two men that i was speaking about earlier in the uh, 1920 pandemic but so this part says in this piece spiritualism comes knocking spiritualism emerged near rochester new york in 1848 when two sisters kate and margaret fox claimed to hear a mysterious rapping at their bedroom wall like a knocking the adolescents claimed to communicate through a system of knocks with the spirit of a man who had died in the house years earlier 
News of the phenomenon traveled quickly, and the girls appeared before crowds demonstrating their purported abilities. Soon, reports of similar phenomena occurring across the United States appeared in the press, and the possibility of speaking with the deceased fueled the popular imagination. So that's all I'm going to read from that one. Again, that's theconversation.com, and you can find all of these links in the Susu Google Docs. I really just wanted to stress this idea of how people respond to these stressful situations. And I mean, living through an earthquake alone, I'm sure is terrifying. I've never experienced one, but a 7.1 magnitude earthquake, I'm sure it rocked this entire city, like this entire like population of people. But then on top of that, like something as sad as school, like a literal school, like school children having to be rescued and pulled out from this collapsed building. That's sad, you know, that pulls at the heartstrings and that I'm sure like, like, even though the community came together to try and save as many people as possible, like there's still this response of really bad negative feelings and the brain is going to take over at some point, the body's going to take over at some point, And yeah, you're the so I, I I really I personally believe that that's what happened that someone really did see a little girl's hand and someone really did hear this little girl's voice and whether or not she was a manifestation of stress or a manifestation of the like community's accumulated energy it happened but then she turned out to physically not be there and so people were like oh it was not a hoax but it was all just a result of misinformation it's just all very interesting and sad and it was recent that was in 2017 like two years before the pandemic started wow anyway Thank you for tuning in once again. I really appreciate you all listening. And if you could do me a huge, huge favor, I haven't asked this yet, but if you could please, wherever you're listening to the show, subscribe to it, follow it, leave a review or a rating. If you're able to write out your review as well, please also do that. I super, super appreciate it. Please follow Susto on all social medias to keep up with any and all updates on the show and to get sneak peeks and behind the scene looks at what's going on with the show. That's at Susto Podcast on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I want to get more than 100 followers so that I can unlock some features on TikTok. So (laughs) I'm almost there. If y'all can push me over the 100 follower count, that would be amazing and it would help me out. And again, if you have any of your own letters from the beyond that you want me to share on the show or the socials, or if you have the picture, video, audio recording, whatever it is, any freaky stuff, send it to me. I'll share it. You can send it to sustopodcast at gmail.com, DM it on any of the socials or leave it in a review. I will spook you later and look twice. Bye.